This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. Bringing new people into your business is exciting and it's important to get the right match, all the way down to someone who fits that stage of the company. Through experience building great teams in her career, Amanda Malco, now the Chief Marketing Officer at G2, knows what to look for in job candidates. Going beyond assessing their ability to complete tasks and looking for a future team member who is right for this stage of your company. High performance team building takes an added layer of thoughtfulness as she explains. I really look for people who are right for the stage of the business and are excited for whatever stage that is. I've worked with very large enterprise companies and I've worked at smaller startups. And in my experience, people are at different life stages ready for different size companies and excited about the opportunities and challenges that those companies provide. So I think not just hiring for skill and skill fit, but also hiring for stage fit is really important. Not everyone who's good at working at a corporation is good at working in a startup environment. And the sooner you find that out, the better. In this episode, Malco, an expert in the world of MarTech, gives insight into how she thinks about testing new tools and the way she determines usefulness. She shares great insight from personal experience about how to get the survey results you need to make the best choice for your business. Get a pen and get ready to take some notes on this episode of Marketing Trends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron, Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. Super excited and honored to have Amanda Malco in the house. She is the Chief Marketing Officer at G2. Amanda, welcome to Marketing Trends. Thanks for having me. Super stoked to have you, Amanda. I I want to brag on you a little bit because I, I, as I was mentioning to you before, like your background is super interesting. And so I know that inevitably the marketing leaders and the folks that listen to the show will Google you and check you out. But I just want to brag on you because I think your background is really cool and unique and I'm excited to unpack it more. So, so for everyone out there, check out Amanda. This is who I have on the virtual screen today. This is an amazing human. So Amanda, she currently leads you know, marketing at a at scale at G2, but think about her background. She was uh, in charge of marketing, partner marketing, and programs at Mailchimp, right? Um, that was a huge opportunity. Then she was previously the CMO at 360i, uh, named one of the 25 most influential marketing agencies of the 21st century. They went through an acquisition. She was also the CMO at Tongle, this really cool creative marketplace. They've got like 100,000 plus writers, directors, animators. Um, she's also served as head of marketing at Ignition One. The SaaS tech ad platform, she was um, 
the first sales and marketing hire at Massive. She had this video game advertising experience. They were acquired by a small company called Microsoft. You may have heard of them. Um, she's a regular advisor in this space. Um, Amanda knows the no. So Amanda, I'm super excited to have you. I would love to start at the genesis of this for you. I heard that it was, was it, was it Drucker? Was Drucker the beginning? What was the very beginning of like your interest in the marketing advertising world? What was the, the first spark that got ignited for you? Drucker's a good one. It was not Drucker though. Um, Ogilvy. It was Ogilvy. It was. Yes. How did you know? We do our research, Amanda. We do our research. I love it. Yes, it was. It was David Ogilvy. I remember reading Ogilvy on advertising. So many truisms that still hold up, and uh, just was like, "Oh, this is something you can do for a living." Wow, it sounds pretty incredible. And yeah, here we are. So was it just like a was it a book that passed on you? What was the what was the actual Ogilvy piece that? Yeah, I I it was something. There was a book when I was a teenager somehow, and I don't remember where I got my hands on it, but I still have the original copy that I had from when I was a teenager, which uh, was was not a short time ago. Um, and it's yeah, Ogilvy on advertising is the name of the book. Cool. I mean, le- legendary name. I mean, I love that. I, he's he's one and Drucker. There's a two got two that I really. I'm inspired by certainly so. That's n- not a surprise that Ogilvy was one to really get your attention. Um, just let legendary on on all counts. That's awesome. So, how do you describe your role as marketing leader at G2? It's a really interesting brand. You're up to some cool stuff. But how would you describe kind of what you're up to as the chief marketing officer there at G2? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, my job at G2 is is kind of multifaceted. I mean, the primary one is to to grow the brand and help grow the company. That's the the primary charter. And really, that's the primary charter of any good CMO. Um, I think our particular focus, though, is unique because we're a two-sided marketplace. And so it's, you know, the core of G2 is we're a software marketplace and review site. So if you're a buyer of software, which let's be honest, is most of us these days, then we want G2 to be the most trusted and authoritative place where you can really discover software for your business. And so a big part of my job as CMO is making sure that anyone who's looking for software instinctively thinks G2, I know G2, and I'm going to go do some research and find the right software for my business. So that's the primary charter. And then we've got a number of solutions for software marketers to help them better understand how they can build their products and connect with their customers. And so that's the other part of the job, the other part of the marketplace and really supporting software marketers to grow their business. How do you, as a kind of a marketing leader, think about the allocation of your budget as an actual investment? Kind of as you look to both efficiency and innovation, how do you think about that? It's a great question. I mean, I think the the key thing is to you can't you can't have everything in your budget be attributable in year. And so I think the thing to have healthy conversations around with um, definitely your CEO, your team, maybe the board, depending on what kind of board you have and where they want to they want to invest their time is how much of what we're investing is driving, for example, in your revenue, and how much is something that's an investment in customer relationships that materialize over time, the brand and building that over time. And so we actually look at our budget as not just thinking about what are our goals and what do we need to do to achieve them, but how much of the budget is going towards things like revenue generation in a year, and how much of it is going to go towards other areas that we'll measure differently and on different time horizons. And so we're actually going through that process right now 
And it's a great conversation around alignment. And I suggest doing it early because otherwise what happens and you hear the horror stories of CMOs who they spent a lot on brand and thought everybody was aligned. And then they came back and said, yeah, but where's the, you know, where's the revenue that came from this spend? So have the conversation when you're budgeting. And if you're not aligned, at least you'll know upfront. Mm, I love that. You know, so for me, the the marketing leader, especially, you know, the role of CMO, you know, in, in a fast growing, you know, company like G2 and other other fast going brands, it's all about collaboration. You know, you, the CMO, you're often sitting at this intersection of all these functions in the business of, you know, product, finance, certainly sales, comms, right? There's so much that you're in the, like you're at this really interesting, you know, part of the flywheel as the CMO. And it's, you know, your job to, to really stay aligned and making sure you're supporting each other towards like that common goal. How are you doing that? How do you do that at G2? Staying aligned cross-functionally. Oh, such a good topic. Um, we could take a whole hour on this, but I think that I <laughs> yeah. won't. I promise. I promise I won't take a whole hour on this. <laughs> you know, I think it, it comes down to shared goals. And I think not being afraid to have shared goals. So sometimes I see like this race towards like, OKRs are great because they're it's a waterfall approach. We use something called V2 Mom, very similar but really making sure that teams have shared goals. And then under that, each team can have the things that they're going to contribute. And some of those might be metrics and some of those may not. But I think a lot of times the alignment and the misalignment can come from feeling like we each need to sort of have our contributing parts, but are they coming together? A great example is revenue. Like we hear a lot about sales and marketing kind of fighting or misalignment or fighting for credit. Well, it's really hard for that to happen if you have shared goals. If you're both driving towards the same pipeline and revenue goals and you're getting at it in complementary ways. Um, but if you each have your own targets and they don't align at the top, that's, that is where you get a lot of that. So I think the first thing is shared goals. And then I think being really intentional about how you collaborate um, and check in and, and are we communicating enough? So I'll give you an example. On the revenue front, We've done a lot to really, with our revenue team, sales and customer success, to have a cadence that we check in on our goals. But I don't rely just on that because that's not hitting the full team. And so we actually, every six months, survey um, the revenue organization to ask, what more can we be doing? How are you feeling and your confidence level in selling our products? And how do you feel like we're aligned towards our goals? And what more do you want? Mm. And so that gives us great insights to stay aligned on a more ongoing basis. What was your first... Because I'm thinking like when I think of a CMO, what's the the first 30, 60, 90 days are really critical for your role specifically. What was your approach first getting in? And I've heard all kinds of answers from CMOs that in this state. I'm curious, what did you do when you first started? What did your first 90 days look like? So I did, I think at any good CMO, you have your 30, 60, 90, you have your plan coming in, your CEO is like, yeah, that sounds good. And, and then 30 days in, it's like, no, that's not the plan anymore, right? Um it really is about listening and building trust. I mean, I think it depends on what kind of organization you're walking into and what the charter is. At least for me at G2, I knew I needed to build out the team. And I knew that we had a lot of needs to align on goals for the marketing team um, and really clarifying what are we going to focus on and what are we not going to focus on? That was sort of my primary charter. It's like, if we can have the right team focused on the right things, we're going to be really successful. To get there, I, I really spent the first 30, 60, 90 getting to know the team both my team and across the organization and building those relationships and getting to know the customers. So I spent, I did actually a listening tour with our top customers. I, and, and um, it actually shared out all my notes from what I learned from that with the team. Um, 
with our broader team. So I think listening and then just being very clear about what do I, what am I need to, to focus on? And for me, it was building, building out the team, developing the team and really listening to them and then um, aligning on marketing goals. Cause we didn't, we didn't really have clarity around those. Mm. Were they pretty clear on brand? Like was, was there a rebrand that happened before you got there, after you got there? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. So it was not, I'm not coming in to like rebrand the company. Like we've got a great reputation and brand, um, which is fantastic. It's actually like a CMO dream to come into a place like G2 that's so well known and say, how can we actually take this to the next level? Hmm. So when it comes to, you know, well, first I want to comment on your, you talked about, you know, cultivating listening. And I, that's, that is yeah. my favorite, that's my favorite answer that I don't always hear, but I do hear it, you know, from, from some amazing folks like yourself that, that talk about the first thing they do is like nothing. They just listen. Yeah. They just listen. You know, we had Marissa Mayer on one of our other shows. And when she first took over, you know, as CEO of Yahoo, she got so much flack for what looked like she wasn't doing anything, but she was listening and she was taking her time and, and how important that is. We've had other executives like yourself talk about how, how critical, like not just to, just to say they're doing it, but actually like get into the trenches of the team, the existing team, certainly the customer and spend enough time doing that before, okay, here's our, here's our next highest priority. And so I'm, I love that you did that. Not surprised. Um, so, you know, there's a comment that I, I would love to get your thoughts on. There's a, a really great CMO named Norman DeGrieve. He's the CMO of CVS. Do you know Norman by chance? I don't know him personally, okay. but I, yeah, okay. I am aware of, of Norman. Yeah. It's super interesting. And, you know, he made a comment around there being like too much focus on ROI versus incremental profit dollars with a reasonable rate of return. Mm -hmm. He talked about, it's like, why are we focused on this rate of return versus the total profit dollars that we're bringing in? He said um, that he thinks there's been this overcorrection in marketing to focus on a metric that actually has harmed the growth of the company because we're focused too much on efficiency. Just curious your thoughts on that, if you would agree or, or, or add any more color to that. Wow, this one really rings true to, to me as well. I think in general in marketing, that I would say I would align with, we have a tendency to do that. I think this is, you know, because more things are going digital, you can measure more of it. And as a result, we tend to over-index on what's measurable and what's immediately gratifying. I mean, that's sort of like true to who we are as humans, right? It's like social media, it's like instantly gratifying. And that's true with our budget. You put a dollar in and within three months, you see the dollar out, like who doesn't love that? So I think, you know, yes, I'd say in general, we can, we can tend towards that. I would say it really depends on the nature of the business though. Like if you're a highly profitable, large enterprise, your time horizon can probably afford to be a little, um, more generous. And you can think about how much do we really need to invest in year versus longer term, as I was talking about before. When you're starting out, that is actually might be a terrible strategy, right? Because you may not have the runway that a CVS has, as an example. And so I think it really depends on the nature of the business. And I think oversimplifying, we can oversimplify sometimes and say like, oh, I need to make sure I'm, I'm investing in brand. I need to make sure I'm investing in demand gen. And really it's, you, you should be doing both, but how much you invest in each over what time horizon and how aggressively you're going to pull on those levers is really going to depend on where you are as a business. And I think sometimes CMOs make missteps when they're not kind of dialing their investments, budget, and priorities towards what is the business need right now. And I'll tell you, you know, at G2, we do think a lot about efficiency. We're trying to grow, but do it really in a smart way. And so for us to get to the next phase, we think that that's really important for us to be looking at. I love your answer. That's awesome. 
how can marketing and the CMO be a real catalyst for helping drive change in the organization? Like not just defining products and services, but actually helping them drive change in the organization. Yeah, I um, I think it's this is one of the hardest things I think right now as a CMO, especially with COVID. Like how many businesses? It's actually I I struggle to think of any business that didn't need radical transformation during COVID, and most of that transformation had to do with your go to market, right? And so I think it's really hard to be a CMO right now. Maybe maybe more so than ever, but it's also fun, right? In a lot of ways, if you like driving change, so I think in terms of how I. I do think pointing to where change needs to happen is something that the CMO has a unique seat to really seeing that um, because you're seeing that. Ideally, you're seeing the full customer experience and you're able to kind of point out where, where is their fiction or where could there be better, better opportunities if we approach things differently, whether that's like how we go to market, how we price, how we actually like point of sale, like where does that happen? And I think, you know, this gets to a question I think you're going to ask later, which is what are the skills you need to be a successful CMO today? And I think journey mapping is something CMOs can learn from product peers that is highly beneficial when you're going toward, towards any type of go-to-market transformation. It's something I spent a lot of time on at MailChimp and I kind of walked away going, wow, I don't actually know how I was doing my job without really leaning into mapping out the customer experience and aligning people around that to be successful. On that note of, of customer experience, I know we've certainly met with a lot of brands that have seemed to double down on customer experience, certainly in the last year and change where behaviors are, are different and things are, are vastly different. And industry agnostic, I think it's impacted everybody. How do you, G2, you know, go about doubling down on customer experience? What are some of the things you've done? How do you create these kind of repeatable experiences that are authentic, that really engender loyalty? Yeah, I think it's big and small things. And I'd say we're just on the beginning of our journey and really like taking our experience to the next level. But some examples would be like on our, you know, it's sort of like, don't wait for perfect to get in the way of the good, right? So we're in sort of the two parallel worlds. One is like, what's really not good that we can make better. So an example would be like that experience when you come to our site, how can we use chat or other functionality to give you a better experience when you're looking to, review software or buy software, or you just want to talk to someone on the sales side. So we actually just went through a new, um, we just got a new chatbot on the site and we redid that whole experience. We're going to continue to iterate. It can definitely be better, but you know, things like real-time scheduling 24 seven coverage so that you can actually talk to someone anytime you want help, no matter where you are in the world, things like that make a really big difference. We're already seeing a material uptick in our ability to drive really good meetings, conversations, and help buyers through that process longer term time horizon, map out like that whole experience from, I just heard about G2. Where did I hear about G2? All the way through to, I am now implementing the software that I discovered and bought on G2. Maybe I got a good deal on G2 deals. Now I'm implementing it. I want to share my experience, like aligning teams around the end-to-end experience of your customer. Long-term, you're probably going to have, first of all, a good, hopefully a great vision to align your product sales, marketing, and customer success teams or whomever else is in the process. And you're probably going to find 100 plus things that could be better, which is great because then you can actually start to think strategically about how do we prioritize this, who needs to do what, et cetera. But I think a lot of times it's easy to be siloed and saying, okay, you go and take this part of the experience, I'll take this. And it's amazing what happens when you kind of take a step back and align the teams around. What are we trying to do here? 
How do you go about building a high performance marketing team? Like what kind of goes into your, you know, your thinking around like who, like when you first joined G2, like, you know, you've assessed the team, you now know kind of what you have at the table. What, what is kind of your first moves? What, what priorities are you establishing in terms of the, the people and the folks that you're building, the team that you're building? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is assessing where there might be gaps. So, you know, as an example, we didn't have a PR function when I came in. And so it's like, okay, well, we know that we're trying to build this very influential brand, really a well-known brand around the world. We probably need some PR functions. So some of it's just obvious, like recognizing the gaps in the team and saying, do we have people who we want to up-level and like, hopefully they can grow their careers here and maybe they'll fit within the roles. And we've had some of that. And some of it's finding out where are there gaps on the team that you need to fill. I think more broadly, kind of aligning great teams around having shared vision, mission, goals, and then figuring out what's the right talent that you need, both for the gaps that you see and the goals that you're trying to get to, but also for the stage of the business. So I really look for, you know, people who are right for the stage of the business and are excited for whatever stage that is. You know, I've worked at, I've worked with very large enterprise companies and I've worked at smaller startups and, you know, you learn a lot about yourself in the process of working at these different size companies. But my, in my experience, you know, people are at different life stages ready for different size companies and excited about the opportunities and challenges that those companies provide. So I think not just hiring for skill and, you know, skill fit, but also hiring for stage fit is really important. Hmm. And do you also think about the next stage as well and think about this person or do you not even think about, you think about current stage, current fit, and that's it? Yeah. I mean, I think stage is really, really long-term. So for example, right. You know, if you're in a stage where you're in seed round, that's a, that's a couple year journey to getting towards, you know, you're building a lot there. Then there's sort of the stage of business, which is where we are at G2, where you've got established go-to-market, you've got really go-to-market fit, you're in scale mode. And so there's a lot that needs to happen in that phase. I often call it like the teenage years, other people call it different things, but that tends to be a multi-year, you know, journey. And then there's sort of, kind of like next peak phase, which is where MailChimp was, which is, okay, we've established a pretty healthy, decent sized business. How do we actually get to that next peak? And, um, and that's a business of a different level of maturity. And then you've, of course, got the fortune, the fortune 500s and they're, they're sort of thinking, how do we actually have digital transformation differentiate across our product portfolio and do it at a scale that's obviously very different from that early stage startup. So yes, multi-year, but I think the stages as I'm defining and tend to be kind of bigger blocks within a, in a company's growth, growth trajectory. Although right now, you know, there's companies that go from A to like behemoths in two years, so. True, true. There's always those. Um, what stage is G2 in? I'd say we're kind of in that, you know, that teenage year. So we've, you know, we're, we're in about 500 employees now. Um, we've raised a decent amount of funding. We were, we're really healthy in terms of the size of our revenue and, um, we're scaling. And so we're a great place for anybody who really likes that stage of business where you're kind of scaling and you start seeing what worked for you at a certain, you know, earlier stage is, is not going to work for the go forward. And you put in all kinds of new tools and systems and it's, it's fun, but fun for, for someone who's ready for that stage. I like it. I like it. Can you talk about the connection relationship between, you as the CMO and the CTO or the CIO, because it seems, you know, we look with MarTech these days, you know, two roles that to me have to be, you know, there has to be trust and in sync, it's the CMO and the CTO. Whereas in years past, there may not have been that much alignment these days with the level of transparency in the world that we're in now, it seems like those two individuals really have to be on the same page. Can you talk about your experience um, building that trust and what you've, what you've learned and, 
you know, this kind of new modern day marketing age? Yeah, I mean, I think CTO and then you said CIO. I mean, I really think where a lot of that alignment happens, especially if you're in a product organization, I mean, really any organization, but especially if you're in a product organization or an e-com organization is around your data. And so I think having alignment um, is so critical. And so I think one of the things that um, we had this at MailChimp, but more so I think here at G2 is really aligning on what are the problems we're trying to solve for as it relates to the data and making sure that marketing has a seat at the table. And I absolutely feel that we do here at G2 is, well, what is the data that we need? Where does it need to live? How are we going to action on it? Who's going to do what as it relates to the data? Um, super important. And, and at the at core, we're a data business. So that's very important to G2. And we take a lot of, uh, you know, we take it very seriously how we, how we think about data here. And so um, I think it's important that marketers not just have a seat at the table, but use it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That's, that's huge. How do you practically balance growth with retention, right? As the CMO of G2? I think retention and growth are, my story is that a lot of software businesses in particular are waking up to like retention is sort of the foundation for your growth. And if you over-index on acquisition, you're going to find that in a couple of years, you've got maybe even in a year, you've got a leaky bucket. So um, a couple of things that that I think about. One is making retention the, the, the number one metric. I love that. I love that. And so we do, right? Like retention is our number one metric followed by acquisition. So make it the number one priority and rally people around that. I think the, the other thing that is just really important to think about is what is good revenue. And this was so true for me in my earlier career, especially when there's any sort of service component, because it's very easy to like have bad revenue quickly on the services side. It's equally important though, um, on any sort of like, even a consumer products business, SaaS business, like what is good revenue? So thinking about who are the types of customers, not just that who will buy, but that who will stay and be successful. And what are the patterns? It's not just so that we get the right customers, but that we understand what's going to make them stickier and successful with us longer term. So that's something that we're continuing to, to look at and trying to build um, onboarding and training to make those customers more successful. You market to both marketers and to marketing software developers. What are the key differences in the messaging for those two different groups? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We actually have multiple personas. So if you think about on the software buyer side, developers are a huge part of that. But we also have, my sister's an accountant. FinTech's actually a really big part of our taxonomy. She just used G2, right? So if you think we have lots of personas, on the marketing side, I think about marketing, marketing to marketers is what I've done my whole career. So that's like one of the through threads in my colorful careers. I think you might have just tried to like 20 years marketing to marketers. And so, you know, I think, it's great because you're having kind of more of a peer discussion. You know what resonates. You can really, you know, speak their language. On the other persona side, it's really about understanding what are the what are the value drivers for those different categories. And we actually prioritize the categories that are most successful on G2, where we really want to lean into making sure people understand that we have we have a great, for example, in fintech. If you're in accounting, we've got great um, software reviews and different types of software you can look at and evaluate for your tech stack. And so we prioritize the different types of categories and personas we're going after on the buyer side, some of which are developers on the developer side. As an example, it's like they, where you reach them, we're experimenting with things like credit and like they're in different places. They're not going to be on LinkedIn. And so we have to really think um, differently, which is a fun challenge about how to talk to them. And they don't really, I mean, they want to be 
educated, but they don't want to be marketed to, which is really a different, different play there. Right. And they, it seems like those, that developer, you know, that arena is just becoming every more important. And, and, you know, they're just there, there's a seat at the table that they now have and that seat is getting bigger. And so I think marketing to them and building relationships with them is, is certainly huge. Well, and they want to build relationships with each other. I mean, yep. if anything, I think peer reviews is a great is a great example where if you're marketing to developers, they want to hear from other other developers, right. right? They don't really want to hear like my my tool is going to be the best for what you need. They want to hear that from their peers and understand maybe some of the things that were challenging and some of the things that were great. And so, um, in that regard, I think you know platforms like G two and others are are taking off in large part because the developer community is so is so influential, as you said, and they really want to talk to each other. Yeah, I, I love that. You talked about Mailchimp a couple times, and I, you know, I've, I, love, I love the brand. Been a been a fan for years, and just curious about some of the, you know, favorite takeaways from your experience. You know, leading partner and mar partner marketing there, and marketing uh, generally speaking. What are some of the things you've really taken from that experience? Because it seems like Mailchimp was very formative for you, and I'd love to hear some things you've learned along the way. Definitely the um, power of that cross functional journey building together. Um, I just think that if you're trying to build anything new or transform anything, getting teams to come together around a shared, shared vision for the customer experience end to end is just super powerful. Yeah. And I think just like how to grow a business at scale, there's so many lessons and like building for 12 million customers, um, you know, things you have to be, things can break really fast. And like, I think also I'd say the third thing would be surprise and delight. I think it's underutilized by marketers. Mm. I think Mailchimp, and I take zero credit for this. Mailchimp just has historically, as a brand, has done surprise and delight really well, and I think that that carried forward into the way that you know most things were done at the company from product to marketing. Of how do you build in those little moments of surprise and delight that um, hopefully brings the smile to someone's face, whether they're buying your product or using your product. Have you done some of that at G two now? Yes. So we are, we are leaning into surprise and delight. Um, I'll give you an example. So we had a big customer conference this year, which feels kind of fun and odd to say, like we were in person, it was outside Wow. Um, with a bunch of customers. No one's done that. You're the first, no one's ever done that. Like, wait, really? Wow. I mean, it just feels like, Hey, it was a moment. It was in September. We we're like, this feels really good to be back yeah. in person again. Um, yeah. And so every company, so we had thousands of software companies that were there, um, many of them customers, but a lot of them not customers. And for anyone who was um, a, a leader on the grid, on a G2 grid, we actually printed, um, we have badges. Uh, normally I'd have them behind me here on the screen, but um, we actually printed their leader badges for them so that, and, and gave them to them in a way that they could showcase them at their booth or, or share it with, you know, as they were walking around the event. And so we sort of surprised everybody with, you're doing something really great because your customers love you. Here's some recognition for that at the event. So just a little, you know, a little way of, of saying thank you and recognizing their, their great reputations. I love it. I think it's important, like you said, and brands can learn, can learn to start implementing it more and not forget it. It's, it seems like some brands aren't making that a focus. And I think it's important, especially today. So I love that. Um, you know, something about, you know, G2, is this obviously is this really interesting marketplace to evaluate all of this really cool technology and software, but that also gives you and gives you and the G2 crew. I don't know if you call it G2 crew, but I think we should. I think we'll just take that idea from G2 crew. Okay. Um, but it, but you know, it also gives you and this in the G2 family, you know, this perspective and this visibility into all of these different types of SaaS. You know, and so I'm curious how much time you, do you as a marketing leader kind of look at the the ever-growing, ever-changing, you know, marketing technology, you know, landscape 
because you've got an interesting perspective in seeing like what's most popular, what's kind of up and coming, what's underutilized, but kind of growing quickly. What's that done for your perspective and also like what you can actually take and and execute on in your role? Oh man, you went there. (laughs) I have never agonized over software decisions more in my life. I mean, for good reason, right? But it's, it's, um, I always, I mean, I've been using G2 for, for a while. So to make the decisions, we obviously look at G2 reviews and we take that really seriously in our evaluation process, but we have so many great customers. And so I want to use them all, but obviously we don't need four of the same thing. And so I, I will say, um, you know, we have a pretty high bar for our evaluation process. We take it really seriously. We're, we're neutral and we don't talk a lot about the software that we use because we want to be very, you know, um, frankly, there's great software out there for everybody. And it really depends on what you're looking for. But um, I look at software literally every day. So, I mean, I could nerd out. Yeah, I mean, I could nerd out. I do. I mean, I, we started to evaluate some things within our organization. And it's like, and the whole world opened up of like, oh man, there's some really great intelligence out there that, and there's, there also, there's, there's, there, there's some great ones, you know? Yeah. And so to your point, can't use them all, love and appreciate them all. And um, it can also be, a lot out of that fire hose. There's so much yes. in the MarTech space, you know? And so I, I see you. Well, yeah. and where do you stop? And right, like you can right. bolt on so many things. And so well, I actually just earlier today was looking at our software roadmap and like the things that we're bringing on. And, um, you know, I'm very excited about it. And we could talk, we could talk a long time about all the, all the things that we're looking at, but um, it's very helpful because we have, we have great partners and customers and, I love that I feel like we get such an insider perspective um, and I'm just constantly hearing about software, which I do think is a competitive advantage for any business that's spending, you know, that's digitally led, spend time, probably more of it looking at software. Yeah, it, put, it really puts you and G2 at this really cool intersection. Like, you know, that's where the world's already going and heading and you get to be at the top being like, okay, here, we work with everyone essentially at some level and you get to be a part of, you know, everyone's success and also helping your customers be a part of that as well, which is really beautiful. I would imagine that you've had some really cool exposure to, you know, creating a successful survey, right? And maybe can you talk about some of the components that really make for a successful survey, how some of these brands can start to really, because you can do this the right way, I think, and you can do this in the kind of same as lame way that all brands do it. What's some of the kind of things you've learned regarding taking a survey and creating a real survey? Wow. Well, there's so many different reasons to do a survey. We do a lot of them at G2. And I did, I've I've done a lot of them. I did a lot of them at MailChimp and and throughout my career. And it goes back to listening, you know, I think they're a great tool for listening. I think some best practices are um, really be focused on what you're trying to achieve. And not just because like, obviously any good project should have clear objectives, but in surveys, the longer the survey, the less likely are you to get, um, not just a number, the number of participants, but the quality of the feedback. So um, really being clear about like what's essential and what's kind of nice to have. You know, I think um, definitely know how you're going to evaluate it because that'll inform what tool you use, right? So there is everything from Google Forms to, um, you know, SurveyMonkey to much more sophisticated software that you can use. A lot of it will come down to like how much analysis and cross tabs do you want to do and things like that. Mm. And uh, ask the right questions. I mean, I think so many surveys fall short. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, we were trying to kind of do some research around um, the influence of particular types of software. And um, we wanted to do a global survey. And we have the ability to do surveying on G2 and do that for some of our customers. And we have a product called Custom Questions. And, and it's all around getting that insight from your customers. And we use the word influence in one of the questions. 
but this was a global survey. And we realized that like influence has like a very specific connotation and is not always a positive one. Right. And so just that one word choice, really the results that came back, we were like, this doesn't, this is really surprising to us. And, and when we kind of dug into it, we're like, I think it's that word. So then we're like, okay, well now we need to really think about, do we rerun this? Wow. What is your process for kind of factoring customer service data into business decisions? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, Fewer, better insights would be the way I would look at that. So like really honing in on like, what are the key things that we need to take away? Not like, here's the hundred, hundred slide deck. But like, if you remember three things that we need to action on, what are those three things? Um, so I use it a lot. Like I gave you the example of the sales team. So we'll, we're distilling that into like, and there are going to be two to three things that we really need to do to action on that. And then we're actually running one with our customers right now that will do something similar. So I think that the key thing is just act on it, but make sure you've got a really focused list of what you're going to do as a result of the learning. Hmm, that's awesome. You talked in another podcast about agencies are a good bootcamp strategy and that they provide good hands-on and great experience. What have you used agencies for in the past and what are you using them for at G2? Great question. I think what I was referencing in that podcast was, should I work at an agency? Like as, as an employee, should I think about agencies? And I just I mean, I'm very biased. So I have to say I worked at any, I have helped to run an agency and, and like obviously came from that world. So I'm biased, but I do think that you get just tremendous exposure to different business challenges and some great experience working with different types of disciplines, depending on the nature of the, the agency. In terms of the agencies we use, I mean, I've used all kinds of agencies in my past. I mean, you name it, I've probably hired an agency to do it at some point, usually not large ones. Um, usually like I love working with just small groups of really passionate and focused folks who are, um, specialists in key areas. So demand is a great example. Um, I've hired consultants who are specialists in like, for example, I'm just really good at paid search. Like that's an example of, of someone that I, you know, I would have hired in my past for certain businesses. Um, and then I've all the way up to the gamut to the really big agencies. I've worked with them too. Um, we work with a PR agency here at G2. And we work with some other uh, Mission North we work with. And we've also worked with a number of creative agencies, but again, smaller, more boutique agencies that kind of help augment some of the work that we do here internally. Mm, Cool. So I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on marketing trends, since the name of the show is Marketing Trends. And I'd love to just kind of hear your just thoughts on some of the things that maybe you and the marketing team at G2 is experimenting on innovating. You know, we hear a lot about AI and machine learning and there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, cool buzzwords that are being talked about. What are some of the things that um, you're either paying attention to or already maybe testing and experimenting with when it comes to innovation and experimenting? So great question. So a couple of things we are experimenting with some new channels. So I mentioned Reddit as an example, which, um, you know, newer for us, maybe not newer for others. Um, so we test a, we test a fair amount of new channels to see if they'll be successful for us. We have some of our core, um, marketing channels that we go to, but then we try and branch out and see if something, you know, try, try something out that might be successful for us in a different, uh, persona. We are working on, um, sort of the next phase of um, commerce on G2. And so thinking about like 
Um, we have an experiment running now called G2 Deals. And I say it's an experiment because we have G2 Deals. That is something that you can get deals on software on G2. We're experimenting with like, how do we actually drive visibility and awareness of that and get more people you know, aware of the deals that, and, and hopefully participating in them because you can get a great deal on, for example, email marketing software if you just go to G2 Deals and check it out. So how do we do that on the site? So a lot of our experimentation comes with how do we actually integrate that within the site experience on G2. And so we do a lot of A-B testing on the homepage and other parts of the site to see where are we going to get the most uptick and interest in these things and making sure that buyers are seeing it on the site. How long do you test these channels? Like how long do you run tests? Such a good question. I mean, I don't, I think we could probably do a better job time boxing it. On the site, we tend to do them for a few weeks, depending on the nature of the test and how big it is. On kind of advertising channels, we can sometimes run longer because we might say, okay, well, this didn't work, but let's test out something else. There was something running on Pinterest and it's like, okay, you know, that seems like it has some legs, but maybe we need to tweak the creative or something. So it can kind of depend on the sort of first phase if it's successful to, or, or, or do we think there's something there? Maybe we keep iterating. What about LinkedIn? I know there a lot of people shy away from it. It's so expensive. Some people say, no, double down on it. It's expensive, but you can get it to work. It appears that there'd be a lot of your customers certainly there. What's your thoughts on LinkedIn as a plot advertising? We love LinkedIn. You love it. Yeah. yeah love LinkedIn. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually our top most used integration at G2 is with LinkedIn. Wow. wow. Yeah. So we have, uh, you can get buyer intent data from G2. So all the great Software buyers who are coming to G2, you can get intent data. Um, you can buy that from us and, and see who's looking for software in your category, your competitors. And then you can connect that with LinkedIn match audiences and do some pretty cool stuff. So we're big, big proponents of LinkedIn, um, both for G2 and for our customers. Um, and yeah, you can do all kinds of things. And I would say a lot of things for free too, right? You can really build a great brand and connect with your customers in really fun and organic ways on LinkedIn. Um, we love to boost and, you know, like all of our customers posts when they post their G2 badges, people get really creative. And we actually have a Slack channel internally sharing people's LinkedIn posts about their G2 badges and all like the fun and crazy things they do when they, when the new reports come out and they, they celebrate. I love that. That's awesome. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Amanda Malco, CMO of G2 on. First question, favorite part about living in Atlanta? Oh, um, my family is here. And I love that my family is here in Atlanta. Beautiful. Uh, favorite pizza in New York City? That's not a fair question, <laughs> but I really like Pauly G's. Pauly G's for the win. Okay. If you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing? I would be eating pizza at Pauly G's. <laughs> All right. La last question. <laughs> Uh, best advice for a first-time CMO? Talk to other CMOs. They will respond to your LinkedIn outreach. Wisdom. I love it. Cool. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show. Loved having you. Such an honor. I'm excited and very bullish on G2 and where you're headed. Congratulations on everything. And let's definitely stay connected. Thank you so much, Jeremy. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. 
You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.